Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Brought to you by Nomad. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where we discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience of field, and our members' stories. Welcome back to another episode of the Turkey Call All Access podcast. We're continuing our series on wild turkey research, this time with a project out of Tennessee that is examining potential factors that may be causing wild turkey eggs to fail to hatch. More on that in 90 seconds. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring, we head to the woods chasing turkeys, and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us, and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend, if you're a spring turkey hunter, spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Uh, before we get started, do you mind just sort of introducing yourself and giving a background with your experience working um, just in research and ecology research, I'm assuming, and, and with wildlife in general? Yeah, definitely. Most of my research is disease, but I'll talk about it. Um, so um, my name is Rick Gerhold. Uh, my educational background is a degree in wildlife science from Purdue University. Um, and then... Uh, during my undergraduate degree, um, working with some of the wildlife professors in conjunction, I got really interested in parasites and diseases. And from there, I did a, a DVM also at Purdue. Um, following that, I worked at the um, Southeastern Cooperative Wildlife Disease Study at the University of Georgia for um, seven years and got a master's and PhD. Um, studying uh, mainly avian protozoa, so various mm -hmm. wild bird species. Um, and so most of my work deals in disease slash health. Um, and ever since uh, I was um, introduced into this uh, wildlife, wild turkey decline issue in Middle Tennessee, uh, starting back in 2014 or 15, I believe. One of my big interests was, you know, recruitment and interested in, um, you know, ideas behind potential implications. And 
luckily, uh, our current PhD student um, happened to come across this study out of um, uh, the London Zoo looking at endangered avian species and egg fertilization, and uh, it's worked amazingly for us in the wild turkey. Yeah. Yeah, and yes, you, you, you kind of touched on it, and that, that was something I was reading about in a sort of a precursor to this specific project that you've been working with TWRA for, for a while to understand potential causes of declines. Um, you know, what did that work entail? And I'm guessing something in there led to this specific project. Yeah, um, so that work entailed a really, uh, as um, a very 35,000-foot overview and then in certain areas, drilling down, um, understanding everything from the normal background um, uh, pathogen, I shouldn't even say pathogens, normal background flora and fauna of turkeys. You know, there's just a lot of stuff we don't even know what the normal part of it is. So a lot of it was just understanding, you know, what's the normal part, but then also um, trying to understand if there was any sort of um, pathogens that could be contributing uh, to the decline. So one of the big interests was um, brought up by uh, mainly people of the public was the concern of the use of uh, poultry litter as fertilizer in areas where there was uh, perceived decline and, you know, wondering what, if any, implications that could have, but then also just, you know, what are we seeing in the birds and areas where they're declining compared to adjacent counties where they seem to be stable? Um, and so we did a very wide, everything from looking for antibodies to various uh, viruses, parasites, uh, bacteria, um, to looking at the um, gross as well as microscopic tissues from both hunter-kill birds as well as birds that had various disease processes. Um, and then uh, on top of that, um, kind of looking a little bit into the litter aspect by examining um, uh, one one. Um, uh, that's what I'm looking for. One shipment of spent poultry litter yeah. that we got from a county where there was a declining per population. Overall, as expected, there wasn't a smoking gun. Um, yeah. There definitely is. Um, there definitely is some concern about, um, and it's, it's it's incompletely known, for, to say the least, of. There of some of the litter and whether or not it may or may not be a potential transmission pathway for some pathogens. Um, there's also just understanding just the normal uh, parasite tapeworms, roundworms that we're finding. Uh, my take on it um, is that probably if everything else was held normal, and everything else was equally the same, the disease aspect would probably not be having a population impact. Mm -hmm. But when you add on all the other intrinsic factors to it, whether it be decreased recruitment, decreased pol 
um, to hen ratios, you know, whether we may or may not, the jury's still out, be harvesting too many dominant toms earlier in the, in the, in the season. When you make that a whole collective picture, then the disease situation may collectively have some aspect to it. So it's a, so much in wildlife, there's generally never this one smoking gun, but it's multiple, you know, individual things that cumulatively um, can have some population implications. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, if, you know, the, the reasons you just said, if turkeys are declining for, for you know, a myriad of these reasons collectively, you know, disease is only going to exacerbate it. It might not be the, the cause, like you said, the yeah. smoking gun, but at the very least, it could be exacerbating what's already happening. Yeah, so, um, and so one of the things that came out of it was early on um, when um, we had our first uh, master's student project, uh, uh, Vinnie Johnson under Dr. Bueller, you know, he was finding some unhatched eggs and he was sending to us. Um, some of them were from nests that were, you know, either, you know, farmer unfortunately mowed over a hen or the hen was you know, predated one way or another. Um, and, you know, we would try to see if there was, you know, a fertilization of embryo. And a lot of times we would get them and it would be, you'd see a yolk, you would see a fertilization disc, and you'd see nothing else. And the assumption was, well, I guess it wasn't fertilized. Um, and, you know, that always, it's one of those things where I was like, I wish I could know more. And I, was looking into everything from looking for evidence of enzymes or hormones or something that could be measured in a hen that had been inseminated by a, a tom and was talking to a lot of my colleagues that work in poultry science. They were all very intrigued, but no one had an answer for me. And then, um, like I said, lo and behold, our PhD student, Laura Horton, um, one of her, you know, Nova Knights, you know, literature reviews that she does very commonly, um, came across this um, paper that was just published out of the um, London Zoo that does a lot of work with endangered avian species that are in captive breeding. Mm -hmm. And, and um, they had um, developed this ability to take the fertilization disc and the membranes, stain them, and then with a DNA stain and then using UV light on a microscope, be able to see if there was or was not actual sperm. And then and additionally, uh, was there any evidence that the fertilization disc started to have um, divisions and then stopped for a reason? And what they found out that was just blew my mind is um, they had found out, I, I, I shouldn't quote without looking at it, but somewhere in the 70% of eggs that were initially considered unfertilized um, from the captive breeding actually were fertilized. And there was evidence of, um, you know, initial divisions of the morula. And then that for some reason or another, there was an embryonic, purely embryonic death before you could even see it with a with gross, or, or with, 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 the, with your gross eye or even microscopic. Wow. Abstained. So that was like, okay, we got to do this in turkeys. You know, yeah. they're finding 70%. Um, so this past year was our first year. It worked really well. We tested it initially on um, some of my own 
personal ducks where I had a drake and hens, and I know he had them for a lot, and I'm them, and sure enough, you could see, you know, I got a few eggs quickly after they were hatched. I mean, sorry, quickly after they were laid uh, by the hen, and you could see sperm everywhere. It worked so well, and we then, you know, looked at, um, I got a colleague who has a domestic turkey that just has hens, send me eggs that I know were not fertilized, and sure enough, you could see there was no sperm in them. And then since then, we've been doing work in numerous states. And sure enough, we can, I don't want to give you a number because I don't have it top of my head, but yeah. we have seen a large number of um, eggs being fertilized. Um, you can see the sperm trapped in the membrane. Now, I'll caveat to that is majority of these eggs come from, you know, probably prior to nest, uh, the rest of the nest hatching and, you know, a lot of times farmers running over an egg, um, sorry, running over a hen, killing her by mowing the field or something in that area. So, but what we really want to kind of drill down on is some of these that um, eggs that come from a nest in which there's a number of eggs that hatched and those that did not. And now that a lot of these states are having current telemetry projects, this is the perfect time to piggyback on that um, because they can go to a nest hopefully before the remaining unfertilized eggs, I mean, unhatched eggs are um, predated on and send them to the lab for us to look at. So um, it's quite exciting. It's actually kind of addictive to look at, be looking at <laughs> eggs under the scope because you can see all the sperm. You can start seeing, you know, where the, cells are dividing. It's very kind of cool basic science stuff. But I think it's also important in answering some questions because, you know, parallel to this, we're also getting data on everything from, you know, when is hunting season starting in that state? You know, um, is it something where they're delaying harvest of the toms? Um, well, I know we only, we only kill toms, but we're delaying harvest. Um, hopefully allow those maybe, um, you know, dominant birds to fertilize, or is it ones that have, you know, so we're going to compare that. We're going to compare whether or not it comes from an area of declining or stable populations. We're going to look at bag limits, um, all the different abiotic and biotic factors that we can possibly pull together to kind of understand where fertilization is um, uh staying in that um, in the formula of of our potential decline in certain areas. Yeah, and out of curiosity, are there like just from your knowledge, are there any other species that have this kind of like rate of mishatching, or is this something because it's uh, a game species that you think there's a difference? Uh, I just don't think anyone's looked at it. I think it's completely unexamined in avian species. Altogether, I think it could be something that could be, you know, looked at in everything from waterfowl to morning doves to any game species, non-game species, whatever you want to talk about. And um, you know, some of the other things I want to say is you know, we're also collecting, um, you know, if there is an embryo in the egg that we can see, we, you know, look at its positioning, seeing if it's in the correct position to potentially, as opposed to be when they hatch. Um, you know, is there any evidence of what could be hemorrhage or anything else going on? And we also save the yolk 
uh, and excess um, albumin material uh, in, for potential down the road toxicology or infectious disease testing in case we do see a certain number of these that uh, it looks like it was fertilized, looks like the egg started dividing, and now for some reason it stopped. Um, mm -hmm. So we um, have ability to send samples off to a toxicology lab that can test that. Um, and that's one of the things we'll be getting into more now that we can show the technique works and that um, we're able to actually kind of drill down on this question even further, see what factors may or may not be associated with some of this declining um, bulk to hen ratio and declining clutch size and all the other things. Yeah, I'm curious, like, anecdotally, are like, how many eggs per like usually hatch is you know is it like common to think that all eggs hatch or is it that you know common that half of them hatch or is that something we don't know yet it's really don't know that anecdotally i was actually just at our uh, annual wildlife disease association and so i was talking to several of the state wildlife disease state wildlife biologists um, about our, and then interesting, some of them had said, you know, it's kind of interesting, one year we'll get a decent number of eggs and the nest not hatching, and you know, we don't maybe would say a quarter of them, and then the next year or years later, whatever, you see like almost all of them hatch. So it's, it's that's another thing I get is like, what is the relative, you know, expectation of fertility hatching? So yeah. I really don't want to even speculate that because I have no data to back that up. Yeah, no, that's interesting though because there's clearly something going on, right? If you know it's not ubiquitous year after year. So yeah, uh, I mean, it, it, it definitely is, is is provocative and it definitely is intriguing. And um, you know, what I say is, is 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 you know I'm very happy that the national chapter recognized it and is willing to um, fund a study that is um, is looking at this because it definitely warrants further research. It's we're very much on the very leading edge of this and there's I as most people I hate to hear this, but I guarantee you the end of this we're gonna have more questions than answers. Yeah. Anytime you start a leading edge like this, it's gonna which is good though, because then we get to have a little bit more targeted questions. Yeah. Some of the, and then we might actually find ways that we can, you know, have some management. We can manage, you know, whether it's managing season limits or other things that we may be able to um, help with our recruitment. Awesome. Dr. Gerald, you, you know, you kind of went into some of the, the really good details of this project, but from like a macro level, you know, what does this field work look like? Like, how, how is this going to unfold like the day to day? Um, how how are you getting eggs? How many eggs are you trying to get? And you know, just like a general timeline, how's that going to work? Yeah, so we're really relying heavily on the individual state, potentially tribal or other um, uh, wildlife agencies uh, on this end because we we are not able to be in the field by lab people. So it's 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 there agency personnel either working with current turkey projects where they already have birds uh, with, you know, 
telemetry, GPS, um, or there is um, just biologists out in the field having to come across, you know, an egg or getting the word out on a grassroots basis to citizens that come across unhatched eggs or happen, you know, accidentally to, you know, predate, kill a hen. Um, or at least bump her off the nest and she's kind of not coming back, that those A's can get to us. And so they'll be shipped to us. Um, we had about 400 plus eggs this one year, just in this study. Um, so we're expecting obviously a lot more eggs in the next couple of years. Um, they'll be shipped to us and in the lab. Uh, and, and and when they, we have a detailed, um, data sheet card for the biologists to fill out that allows us to track information. Um, and then once they're shipped to us, um, we go ahead and process them in our lab, doing the staining and then uh, monitoring, I mean, uh, analyzing the, the, the fertilization, you know, whether or not there's actually division of the disk itself. Um, and then collecting yolk material and other things. So day to day, it's so what it ends up being, as you can imagine, because nesting season is pretty tight. It's um, it's you know intense work for a short period of time, um, and then for most part, um, luckily one of the nice things is we found out is um, the the if we just get so inundated eggs, we can't process fast enough. What we can do is is, is crack the egg open. And place the material in formalin, which preserves it from decaying, and then we can get to it from there as we have time. Luckily, freezing, unfortunately, there was there was a lot of hope that freezing eggs would work. Unfortunately, freezing eggs does not work. Yeah, uh, we tried a little study with that, but it just degrades the membrane. The freeze thaw degrades the membrane, and that's too much for us to even get an idea what's going on. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, you know, a lot of states are sending you their eggs. So, you know, just for the folks that are listening, this is a, a multi-state collaboration. And it's my understanding that um, this is specifically for the eastern wild turkey. So I'm not sure if all the states that uh, where the eastern inhabits are, are sending eggs or if it's, you know, select states where the eastern inhabits. Um, and then I'm also wondering um, if that is the case, why not use eggs from Rio Grande wild turkeys or Miriams as well? Um, to be quite honest with you, I would take an egg from anywhere. Gotcha. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, for me as a scientist, more data is better, right? We drown in data until we are so happy with ourselves we have it all. Um, and then um, I, I don't see any reason for that. I, I think maybe the only reason is. Um, even, you know, the funding they gave us is, is very gracious, but um, maybe for that large of undertaking, it may require multiple technicians, multiple graduate students. Um, that may be something we look for, look at in the future. Gotcha. Yeah. And, you know, that that's one of the questions I had just kind of down the line was, you know, what does the future of this project look like? Do you see this being, like you mentioned, you know, it's probably going to lead to more questions. But do you see this as being, you know, a multi-year endeavor um, that is just something that's done every year, sort of henceforth? I would love to see that. I know we're going three years now. Um, I think it's something I would be really um, upset if after three years it all stopped because um, three years is really nothing when it comes to understanding trends on wildlife. Um, yeah, I would 
like to see a large, a long trend. Um, and then, like I said, I could see like after this quite a few years having something like a um, you know a two or three year postdoc come in and just gleam all that abiotic biotic data along with what we find just to understand what are some of the factors that may or may be associated with fertility, hatching, stuff like that. So it's it's going to be um, a very collaborative project. It's, I mean, if, if someone is not wanting to share their data with each other, we're going to be kind of up a creek. And luckily, um, I work with some like great state biologists that just care so much about it, they're not going to do that. Um, so um, I think I see this as um, indefinitely going forward. Awesome. And yeah, and just kind of touching on those factors, and I know you spoke about it a little bit, but you, you know, you've collected some eggs now and, and, and have collected them from certain areas where, where there may be certain land use practices, there may be certain increased predation. You know, so far, have you noticed any kind of correlation with some of these factors, say pesticide use or, or where there's a higher prevalence of disease and, and mishatchings, or has, has that data not yet come forward? That, that that data unfortunately has not manifested itself yet, and, and we just uh, even though 408 sounds like a lot, it's still um, just a bare drop in the bucket that I try not to do anything. But um, I think what it does is it definitely um, is eye-opening to recognize that most of these eggs are fertilized, um, and it definitely uh, puts a lot of um, validation and vindication that further funding is justified. Um, yeah. to, uh, that I've taken. And, and that's, I guess, as, as much as I feel any we are comfortable saying, um, I tend to be very um, uh, conservative with overstating um, data and everything because I feel like it's, um, and I know you, you recognize this too, it's, um, Irresponsible for scientists to try to make something when nothing is there, and then if they do say something, it turns out it's not the truth. They're they're in a tough position to backpedal. Um, so I tend to be very conservative in in my um, uh, telling the data. But but when the data does indicate something, I'm happy to um, show that wide. Uh, widely to a wide audience. Um, yeah. So we'll just have to, like, I guess, wait the next couple of years, maybe three years, to be able to answer any of that. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I just found really interesting is um, you said, so you were surprised to learn how many eggs weren't fertilized that you examined as well, right? I didn't say were. Oh, were. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I, was gonna say, I, I think both would be, would be interesting as well. But, um, or I'm sorry, I'm, I just got back. Kind of got tangled up there, but um, awesome. Well, Dr. Gerald, I think that hits on all my questions. I, uh, last one was, you know, I, and I know this is sort of very general, but um, you know, how does this project benefit wild or turkey hunters? Uh, well, uh, I mean, I think it's um, if you're a turkey hunter, it has to be very near and dear to you because um, if we're not able to have proper recruitment of uh, a population of species, 
then we are unfortunately limited in our ability to continue having the the hunting passion that we enjoy so much and the ability to have family and friends and that connection to nature that is so important to all of us. But I think this is um, something that I would I would hope all turkey hunters would find very important and, and worthy of studying. I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring, we head to the woods chasing turkeys, and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us, and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend, if you're a spring turkey hunter, spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation.